0: Welcome everybody to another edition of the Inside ND Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football recruiting and more for InsideNDSports.com on the Rivals Network. The Inside ND Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Socky, makers of the best premium socks I've ever owned. Are you still wondering what to do about those last-minute stocking stuffers? I know I'm not quite done with my uh, Christmas shopping yet. Do you need a gift for that random relative or goofy friend that gets you something and you aren't usually prepared to return the favor? Well, dead Socksy has you and their feet covered head over to deadsoxy.com and use code lucky at checkout for savings exclusive to our inside indie sports podcast listeners. That's right. Promo code lucky L U C K Y gets you 30% off and free shipping on all orders with no minimum purchase required. This deal isn't even available to the general public so, make sure you head over to deadsoxy.com, D E A D S O X Y.com. Happy holidays from Dead Soxy. And as always, stay soxy. We are less than two weeks away from the beginning of the early signing period for the 2023 class and closing in on three weeks out from Notre Dame's matchup with South Carolina in the Gator Bowl. Given that it's the final stretch in recruiting, we wanted to bring on. Newly crowned Buckus Award winner, Drake Bowen, the unquestioned leader of Notre Dame's 2023 recruiting class. Drake, thanks for joining us. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. Drake, first off, congratulations on winning the high school Buckus Award. What did that mean to you? And I know the Buckus Award likes to do something special when it presents the award. So how did you find out about winning it the other day?
1: Uh, yeah, so they um, they came to my school and I had a big surprise. Uh, only my AD and my principal knew about it. So um, they got a whole team together and uh, came to the gym and presented it to me. But um, yeah, it was super exciting. Uh, I not have been able to uh, win that award in front of my family and uh, my teammates, knowing that uh, they both both my family and
2: my teammates have done so much to help me uh, get that award. Just to follow up, you know, you're the fourth high school winner of that award. F- that was a Notre Dame recruit. Did you hear from Manti or Jalen or Prince Collie? Ah, uh, yes, yes, sir. Jalen, um, Jalen reposted it uh,
1: and retweeted it on Twitter, and then uh, sent me a, sent me some DMs and said uh, congratulations and stuff. So um, that was super exciting uh, to hear from him. Um, knowing his success. Uh, at Notre Dame and then after Notre
2: Dame. Um so it was that was super exciting. He played a lot of running back in high school like you did too. Did you know that? <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. I actually
0: saw Jalen play against Andrean, which is where Drake goes to school, uh when he's, when Jalen was in high school and Jalen jumped over a defender, but he got flagged for it because that's not a legal that's not legal in Indiana high school football. So yes yeah. that's, that's the kind of athlete that Jalen Smith was.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, it's uh yeah, they made it a rule where like only if the defender is going at your legs can you jump over him. So um, but yeah, it, it he he's an incredible player.
2: Well, Drake, you know, it seems like since you've been committed, you've taken a real leadership role in crafting this class from a player standpoint. And I'm wondering why you did that and kind of what what that role kind of looks like on a daily or weekly basis. Um yeah, so I kind of
1: did that um mainly because of my proximity to Notre Dame. Um I'm only an hour, 15, hour and a half away. So it's not not super far for me. So I can get up there for any any events, game, whatever it may be. And so um, you know, being that close and being able to meet any any new recruit that maybe Um, is liking Notre Dame or that Notre Dame may have interest in or we want or something like that Um, I can get up there and and meet them talk with them um, and kind of show them why I chose Notre Dame and so um, you know I think that's that was a big thing was um, how close I am to Notre Dame and then it really isn't too much um, just mainly a lot of talking to people like talking to recruits and Stuff like that, um just kind of building building friendships and relationships with them um, and so that that's mainly what it is just building relationships and and meeting new people and then kind of showing them why why so it chose Notre Dame why I think um you know Notre Dame is is the best school in the country.
0: We've seen some of the fellow commits being pursued by some other schools here in the last couple of weeks, and earlier today Dylan Edwards backed away from his commitment i, I do you try to be proactive in reaching out to the, some of those guys that you know other schools are uh, going after? Or you just sort of let them do their own thing because you sort of already probably expressed plenty of things to them previously. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of um,
1: you know kind of letting them do their own thing and then also talking with them through it, talking with them about it. I guess um, that's that's a lot of what it is. It's kind of they have to at the end of the day they have to figure out um, you know what they want for them for themselves and what's best for them. Um, and so, you know, those decisions those decision are big ones. Where you're going to college to play football is a huge decision or just where you're going to college. And so, um, you know, while I can give them my input at the end of the day, they they got to do what's best for them. And if they don't think Notre Dame is what's best for them or they think another school um, may not be good for them and they're coming to Notre Dame, that's that's has to be their choice. And so um, while, yes, I give my input and and try to talk to them about why I think they should stay or why I think they
2: should come. Um at the end of the day, they have to make uh what the decision that's best for them. Dre, NIL's been around for about a year and a half now. It really didn't affect the 2022 class as much as it was front and center for 2023 cycle. And I'm wondering what your experience with that was in terms of just knowing everybody else in the class. I mean how big of a deal do you think it was for kids in making their decision in this class at least the ones that you've come in contact with um you know Notre Dame I don't think it was it was a big deal with Notre Dame
1: I think coach freeman has done a great job of recruiting people to the school and and to his his coaching staff so I think that was that was a huge maybe a bigger part beyond Um, recruiting like when they're at the school maybe that's what recruits thought of because of NILs um, because Notre Dame's alumni base and how how big it is and how wealthy it is Um, but you know during the recruiting coach Freeman and and his staff have done a great job of um, you know recruiting to the school and recruiting to the coaching staff and showing why Notre Dame football is is where it it is right now and then where it's going to be um, and, and we're on the come up right now. And so I think he's done a great job of doing that and not really trying to um, present NIO as a, as a factor um, in recruiting. While, you know, maybe other schools do do that because um, because of, of many reasons. But, um, you know, no, Coach Freeman has done a great job of, of recruiting um, for to the school, not you know recruiting for the money.
0: Drake, this senior season at Andrean, you were asked to do a lot at both linebacker and running back. I think you rushed for over 1700 yards and scored something like 26 touchdowns and I think your t- tackle total was somewhere around 144. How did you how did you hold up physically to the demands of everything you sort of went through as a senior? Um yeah, it was it was difficult. Um you know, being being
1: that used, but uh you know, yeah. I I learned how to take care of my body. Um you know, throughout the season then added some more um this year. But uh yeah, it was it was difficult. Saturdays were were not enjoyable um some some weeks. So uh but you know a lot of a lot of stretching, um working out, making sure that um you know I kept my body in shape and kept the demands of what it needed to do right. Um but yeah a lot of yoga um that's really one of the big things that I learned throughout this year was how impactful yoga is um, for your body and just the stretching aspect. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was definitely difficult and challenging, but I, I learned how to, how to really, really make sure my body
2: was in tune. So I could go the next week, um, just as, just as good as I did the week before. So. Well, my mom's going to have to watch this podcast. She's 93 years old and still teaches yoga. So she'll be happy to hear your endorsement. (laughs) Uh, I'm as far as, um, you know, college ready, how college ready do you feel like your game is you're six foot two and 230 right yes sir so it's not like you have a lot of growing to do to be college size uh but but just the rest of the part of your game the mental part the um understanding offenses and so forth how where do you feel like you sit in those areas um yeah I think I have a lot of room to grow, um, you know, going
1: in, it's a, it's a completely different ball game than um, high school maybe. And so, uh, you know, offenses are a lot more complex. Defenses are a lot more complex. And so, um, you know, just probably the mental aspect is definitely going to be the, the, the biggest part where I have to grow um, along with the speed of the game. Um, that's another way bigger aspect is how fast people move, in college compared to high school. And so, um, you know, learning the playbook is, is something that's going to, um, you know, that's, that's going to be a new thing for me is, is learning a a big playbook, um, an in-depth playbook. So, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be the biggest area where I have to be prepared and, um, be ready to improve on is definitely the mental aspect and learning kind of overall,
2: the, the new aspects of, of the game as they develop and get more complex. I think um, Rivals, which is our organization, lists you as the number one outside linebacker in the country. But are you – What which positions are you projected at Notre Dame? Which one do you think you'll end up playing?
1: Um, So they, have, they said I can really play all um, the linebacker positions with my, my skill set. But they see me as a will um, linebacker uh, most
0: – all right. The will linebacker has, has been racking up tackles in Notre Dame's defense in recent years. So that's, that's a good position to play. Um, Drake, uh, we're, we're getting cl- close to the end here in terms of you enrolling at Notre Dame. Are there any last things on your to-do list that you know, you want to do or get done before you head off to Notre Dame? Uh, no, my
1: just, just all American game. Um, just getting ready for that. Uh, getting prepared. Um, and so other than that though, I don't really have a ton just kind of hanging out with family, um, getting ready for Christmas. So um, but yeah, that's that's really it. Not
0: too much I, I want to do or need to do. That's, do you have yeah. a in home visit schedule with some Notre Dame coaches coming up? Uh yes, sir.
2: Awesome. And when when is that? Do you know? Uh Sunday. Okay. Speaking of family, don't you have a little brother that plays at Hanover Central? Yes, sir. Okay, tell us about him. What's what's his game like? What year in school is he and so forth? Uh he's a freshman right now. Um, so he just got done. He played
1: safety for them. Um, I only got to go to a few games, but um, you know, they he, he does pretty well for himself. He uh he can cover some ground, he, he plays very well downhill. Um, and so he, he can go up with people and go go get some balls and at least make him not catch it so um you know I know he's he's a hard hitter too so he's he's a pretty good football player but uh you know I don't know that that's necessarily what he wants to do but he could definitely do it as long as he he
2: keeps working at it and you couldn't recruit him to Andrean?
1: uh no he's a he's a baseball guy and so he <laughs> uh and and he 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 likes public schools more too so that's his type of a deal is he he came from a public school has um, been in public school all his life, so he, uh, he just enjoyed that more.
2: Okay, now when I did talk to you long ago when we did a phone interview, we did talk about there was a different baseball coaching regime <laughs> here and so forth. With the new coaching staff and so forth, how do you feel like you will be able to fit in? And do you think that playing baseball is something that's going to be realistic, even as a freshman, that you want to kind of dive into both as a freshman? Uh, yeah, I I do think that's something that I can do both as a freshman,
1: um, as a freshman and beyond. Um, and I I do really like those the baseball coaches. Um, and so I think that I could definitely fit in there and definitely um, you know give them give them some uh, you know give them some to the work with within me. But um, you know I'm I'm super excited, and so we'll we'll see how the freshman year goes. But um, you know because. That's going to be an adjustment period. Is is having the two sports, um, along with classes and and other stuff like that. So, um, we'll, we'll see how that goes. The first first couple of weeks. That's going to be an adjustment for me. So, uh, but yeah, I'm super excited to be be
2: able to play for him. So you're enrolling early, right? Yes, sir. So you will play on this year's baseball team. This year's Notre. Yes, sir. Wow. Yes. And and what positions? I know you play all over the place, and you're very, really good. But what position do they kind of project you at? Uh, they they said I can start out on the, the infield,
1: um, and then um, you know if if they see me best in the outfield or
0: wherever they may need me, they they said they will move me um, where where I seem fit best. Okay. Drake what has it been like to get to know Al Golden in his first year as Notre Dame's defensive coordinator and as your future position coach what what is he like as a recruiter what what have you learned about him as a coach over the last several months um
1: yeah he's he's super smart um you know his his defense is super sophisticated it's um you know it's it's truly an NFL defense and so um you know that's that's something that's really awesome is that you know we he's He's super in depth with everything. He makes sure and explains everything. And so um, you really, you really understand it. It just takes some takes some learning and putting it into action. But um, you know, being able to play for him is super exciting because he came from the NFL. So he knows what what that's like. And uh and so, you know, that's that's your dream. Uh you're going to college, you're playing division one, you want to get to the next level. And so um, you know, I think that's a, that's it's super exciting to be able to play for him as as his defense translates to the NFL probably best out of a lot of colleges. And so um, he, he's super exciting to play for, super exciting to talk to. Um, you know, he, he really gets to know you and your family and, um, you know, checks up on how everyone's doing and how you're doing, how your body's doing, um, how you're doing in football, and et cetera, and just in life. So um, he's super exciting to play for, or I'm super excited to play for him. And, uh, you know, I, I
2: really like him as a person too. Drake, there are a lot of ups and downs with the Notre Dame football team this season. You know, they start out zero two, the loss to Marshall. Uh, there's the middle mid of the year, middle of the year loss to Stanford. Then there's these huge highs with the Clemson victory and so forth, the out in the snow at Boston College. I know fans, grown ups, they're up and down with the team. How about uh, a recruit like you? Are you able to stay a little bit more even keel? kind of knowing the bigger message of Notre Dame yeah I, I am I know that you know the first two games it's it's rough um you know
1: playing Oklahoma State last year um you know started off super hot second half super cold so um that was that was a rough one and then you open up with Ohio State in in the shoe that's that's always gonna be a tough game no matter who you are um and so um, and then Marshall, you know, Marshall had gotten a lot better. Um, they had they had some transfers come in and so they just they they played perfect and uh you know made no mistakes on either side of the ball. And so when you when you're playing a team like that, you have to um even though you may have more talent, more uh size, better whatever, you you gotta really make sure that you limit your mistakes. And so um you know no we just they just didn't limit their mistakes and uh you know at the end of the day, that's what that's what killed them. And so um, and same thing with Stanford. they had they have way better talent um you know better players and so uh you know, it's just little things like that and in, a, in a big like even in college little things like that are the difference and so i think mean, that's what contributed to the losses but you know as a recruit it's just you just got to know um kind of what the what the message is and so you got to know that you know what you're coming into and that you know not every game's going to be perfect and so that that really didn't affect me it's more like, like dang we, we could have been ranked higher or you know we shouldn't have lost that game or something like that but at the end of the day you just gotta kind of lift the little things
2: and realize that you know there's a there's a bigger picture to it did you storm the field after the clemson game yes yeah, sir we, we <laughs> yeah we uh
0: stormed the field with the fans <laughs> drake uh, given that you were around the team and at all the home games so frequently what what did you learn about, like, sort of how the team handled the season and sort of handled the ups and downs itself and managed to navigate through that? Were there lessons that you were able to gain from that as a recruit and and, and seeing how those the, the players and the and the coaches handled all that? Yeah, it was just
1: kind of a turned into more of a bond. It was more of a, uh, you know, we're going to figure this out on our own. Um, we're not going to let outside sources affect us. And so uh, kind of that's, that's the same thing that really happened like it was easy for me to translate that because of what happened this year in my team. We started out zero two to two teams that we probably could have beat and should have beat, and so, um, you know that that was that was rough for us. We had to you know look look at ourselves, kind of figure out what was wrong, what was going wrong, what we need to fix, and so, um, you know that's what that's what they did, and they they figured it out just like we figured it out, um, and so. Um, you know, at the end of the day, that's that's really all it is. When you're when you're struggling and whatever it is, you gotta look at yourself first and figure out what's going on. And uh, you know, they did that exceptionally and found out um, found out what they needed to fix, improved on it, and uh, you know,
2: finished out the season on a high note. Drake, is there anybody on the team, especially in the linebackers group, that you particularly bonded with?
1: Yeah, I, I really like Maris and JD and Jack. Um, I, I got really close with, I played Nolan last year. And so me and him were friends. Um, Jalen, I've, I've talked to Jalen a lot. Uh, Prince, I've talked to a couple of times. So I talked to a lot of those guys in the, in the locker room, um, and in the linebacker room. So it's, it's super exciting going in there with all those relationships built and, uh, you know, people I can go to that have been, been in there for a year, um, up to four years. So, um, you know, kind of pick their brain at, at stuff that I need to learn, what what not to, what to do, um stuff like that.
0: Drake, I'm I'm not expecting you to be have all the rankings memorized or anything like that, but I'm curious if you, if I asked you to pick one of your fellow commits who is maybe slept on or isn't getting enough praise or love, who do you, who's the who's the guy that you would point to in the class? It's like this guy is going to be legit. I'm not sure why you guys aren't talking about him more.
1: Um, probably. Probably, um, I'm trying to think. Probably Christian Gray, maybe a Don Schuler. Um, you know those those are some Don's doing really well. Uh, you know he he's a really great player, and so is Christian. Um, but you know those those two are really really great players.
0: All right, Drake, that's all we have for you. We really appreciate you taking time to talk to us tonight. Um, best of luck in the last couple of weeks of your high school career and getting uh getting on campus
2: at Notre Dame. Thank you so much. As a reminder, the Inside Indie Sports Podcast is presented by Dead Soxy, maker of the best-dressed socks you'll ever wear. Still wondering what to do about those last-minute stocking stuffers and holiday gifts? Need a gift for a random relative or a goofy friend that gets you something and you aren't usually prepared to return the favor? Dead Soxy has you and their feet covered. Head over to deadsoxy.com, that's D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com, and use the promo code LUCKY at checkout for saving exclusive to Inside Indy Sports Podcast listeners. That's right. LUCKY gets you 30% off and free shipping on all orders, and there's no minimum. This deal isn't available to the general public unless you leak it out. (laughs) Uh, Remember, all the socks come with a patented technology with a no-slip guarantee Made from that really great bamboo fabric for that premium luxury feel. Great colors and designs that match up with the team we cover and that you follow. So happy holidays from Dead Soxie. And as always, stay
0: Soxie. All right, now it's time for questions. Our question segment is powered by AcrePro Midwest Farm Group. When it comes to land sales, it pays to have experts in your corner. AcrePro Midwest Farm Group are your local farmland specialists. With decades of experience in Indiana agriculture, no one knows the market better. Whether you're doing a 1031 exchange or simply buying and selling farmland, your local AcrePro agent will walk the land with you and ensure the deal is done right. Visit AcrePro.com or call 765-587-3185 and talk to your local land expert today. Again, 765-587-3185. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the insider lounge message board before every podcast. I'm at T James ND and Eric's at E HansonND. ND. First one I have is from at coffee, dark roast in celebration of tight end, Michael Mayer declaring for the NFL draft. Who is your top five tight ends for Notre Dame that you've seen since Charlie Weiss. I assume everyone will rightfully put mayor, not number one, but not me and coffee, dark roasts. list is number five, Tommy Tremble, number four, John Carlson, number three, Kyle Rudolph,
2: number two, Michael Mayer, and number one, Tyler Eifert. Well, what for is- me, it was pretty easy exercise. Um, when we were in the early part of the pandemic, when there were no sports going on, <laughs> yeah. I was rating everything. I mean, I even seeded the semi-finalists in The Voice that year, <laughs> just for my so- own thing, just <laughs> since there were not no sports around to do, to do those things. But I did the tight ends the greatest tight ends in Notre Dame of all time and I did it from the two platoon football era meaning that guys weren't playing both ways it was easier to define the tight end position so 1964 to the present so fortunately for me with this question five of those 10 or four of those 10 were in that list Michael Mayer was just enrolling so I did not have him on the list but he makes my number one in this particular list i think it's a real debate between michael Mayer and ken mcafee uh, from the 1977 team ken was a three-time all-american he finished third in the heisman trophy voting on a team that had joe montana on it um i mean it's it's in his context of his era it was amazing now Mayer didn't play as a senior and that's a big difference in those two. So you have to kind of weigh weigh that. But um I went with Michael Mayer, number one, Tyler Eifert, number two, John Carlson three, Kyle Rudolph four, and Anthony Fasano number five. All right. Um I wasn't if sure. If I had to go to a six, I'd go Cole Komet. He had below he had some other people that yeah, he and he them- had Fasano in there. So I assume that he was inclusive of the Weiss era, not since the Weiss era.
0: Yeah, he. I, that was my interpretation too. Although Carlson like didn't his whole career, or not Carlson, Fasano's whole career wasn't during the Weiss era. If Correct. I I'm accurate. So I I left same with Carlson. I I left Fasano off, um, but I could have made an argument for putting him in there. I had Mayor one, Eifert two, Rudolph three, Carlson four, and Komet number five. So I think those six we have there are probably. Six for sure, in my opinion. I, Tommy Tremble at number five in Coffee Dark Roast list was was too high. I, I really like Tommy as a player, but the the lasting effect of his career was was pretty limited, and he also didn't impact the game as a receiver enough to
2: to merit being a, he also a top had the bad five. Luck to overlap Komet and Mayer's career, right? But I don't know that he would ever been a prolific receiver. But man, could the guy block? Yeah, yeah, he was probably the best
0: blocker of the group. He was he was a very good blocker. All right. Next question is from Mike Devoy at Mike Devoy One. Eric and Tyler, who's available at tight end for the Gator Bowl? And at Bob 4nd and D Three asked who would be the starter. Uh, the rest of Mike's question was, "Will this limit the use of two tight end sets?" And then he has another question. We'll, we'll let's get back to that after we talk about the tight ends because it's not related. Okay.
2: So available tight ends, you have uh, Mitchell Evans. And I think Mitchell Evans will be the starter, right? Then you have Holden stays, you have Davis Sherwood, who's a hybrid fullback tight end kind of guy. And then Kane Barong played a little bit right at the end of the year, I think in the BC game. So you basically have four. Will that limit Notre Dame's two tight end sets? I don't think so. They they have full um, confidence in Holden stays. And I think Davis Sherwood, they have, a lot of confidence that he can execute certain things. I don't think you're going to see too many balls thrown to Davis, but uh, I think I think they can still do it. Now three and four tight end sets, you know that that might get a little bit more challenging.
0: I do think it'll limit the frequency because I, I I I think it's harder to make the argument that Evans and stays are like your five, two of your five best skill players when when you when you could easier easily make that argument when you had Mayer and Evans um together so i I don't know that that we'll see as many two tight end sets in the gator bowl um specifically uh i do think they'll use a lot of Jaden thomas uh yeah i think and and they they will in receiver goal line scenarios they'll line him up sort of close uh to the line to
2: the to the block like the tight ends and there was even one tv announcer that thought he was a tight end
0: (laughs) yeah i think it was the one it might have been the byu game there was a it was a that wouldn't make sense. Cause I would, those would be NBC announcers, but, um, I think he caught a touchdown passing, like, Hey, he through the tight end. And I was yeah. like, yeah, that's not, that's not a tight end. But anyways, uh, I, I think it will decrease the two tight end sets, but I still think that it will be a part of the offense. And I just don't know that it will be used as much. I would imagine there would be a switch to maybe more two running backs than two tight ends, but we will see how that plays out. Um, the other question that Mike Devoy asked was in the PFF stats you posted in an article this week. Uh, I was surprised at how low the pass block numbers were for the running backs. Were you? And then how did
2: Kyron do last year? I had to I had to look at those um, refresh my memory on the running back stats from this year and last year. I looked at last year's first, and I was they're pretty hard graders with the running backs. Kyron was uh, a little bit over 50, which isn't a very good grade. Um, And Chris Tyree was actually ranked ahead of him, which I don't think is the case. So the eye test doesn't match the stat test. But then I looked at the 2022 stats and they were awful. I mean, Logan Diggs was in single digits. Um, Now, I don't remember there being a lot of great blitz pickups and pass blocking from the running backs this year. Uh, so I think Kyron Williams proved to be clearly above them but I don't I don't know that chris Tyree you know kind of halved his his efficiency as a uh pass blocker that seems seems a little harsh so sometimes those numbers are a little head scratching but I don't remember there being uh you know that's something Delan McCall is going to have to work with his uh seven running backs next year <laughs> on uh pass blocking
0: Yeah. They, they, they weren't good. So the numbers didn't surprise me. Uh, And then the, the Kyron Williams grade, Kyron was really great at times and there were some missed assignments or bad blocks or sometimes I think he would be too aggressive and then maybe get out of control at times. So I think that was probably reflected in his PFF pass blocking grade last year. Um, But Kyron Williams was definitely the best of that, that group. And he was better than any of these guys this year, this this year the guys weren't great, um, and we saw them stay in a lot. Like there weren't a lot of, I think that was one of the complaints. But people were like, why isn't Drew Pine checking it down to the running back? And sometimes it's like, well, the running back is is being asked to to help in, in pass pro, and that wasn't necessarily something that any any of those guys were particularly good at. So that's something that is a major point of improvement that that position group will will need next season. Next question is from Rico Benes at Mike Eb ninety five. How will Notre Dame replace the production of Michael Mayer as tight end? Is it realistic to expect Mitchell Evans to step into a tight end one role with only two career
2: catches? Well, you won't be able to replace his production, not not with one person. Uh, You know, you're going to see it spread out. I don't
0: think they'll all replace his production. All the tight ends combined probably won't have 67 Well, I mean,
2: some of that's got to go to the wide receivers and running backs. I mean – You look at the skill set of some of the running backs, like Jadarian Price is Mm going to add another really good pass-catching running back, and I I think Jeremiah Love, the incoming freshman, will fit in that category as well. Um, And then you're going to start to see the rise of the wide receivers next year. I think Deion Cole, all the sophomore class, will be much better as will Tobias Merriweather. You have some really talented freshmen. Coming in, they're probably going to add a portal wide receiver, which is going to help that. Uh, But I think Mitchell Evans can be a pretty productive pass catcher. I know, in just talking with um, John McNulty back when he was the tight ends coach, they were very high on Mitchell Evans becoming the next in that lineage of really good tight ends, and Tommy Reese's spoken very highly. We just haven't seen it in games because. Are you going to throw it to Michael Mayer? Are you going to use him as a decoy to throw to Mitchell Evans? And Mitchell didn't come into you know playing this year until middle of the season. I think right. had he played all the way through the summer and played in preseason and so forth, he would have had a larger pass-catching role. So I think Mitchell Evans is is the guy that would be, but the the one that I would really look forward to long term. I think Eli Rarden has the uh, makeup to be in the in I'm not going to say Michael Mayer but in the same sentence as some of the other really good tight ends that have played during the Brian Kelly era.
0: Yeah I mean he, he, he has a potential to be a very good pass catcher in Notre Dame's offense. Um, I wouldn't expect that necessarily to happen next year right away. I mean I think he'll have an impact but he's not going to be like Michael. I don't even know that he would be as good as Michael Mayer was as a freshman
2: next year. We'll, we'll see what, what what comes of that. Um, I mean, nobody's been as good as Michael Mayer as a freshman. Right. Right. Nobody yeah. That's not to do, yeah. The school has.
0: Yeah. That's not. To, that's not a diss deal I've heard. And to be to be clear. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I just think that the like like Eric said, I agree with a lot of what he said there. The, the receivers will have to step up. The running backs will be used more. Um, I do think it is a little bit concerning that Evans wasn't used at least a little bit more as a, as a receiver. It's like, okay, if all, if the defense is paying so much attention to Michael Mayer, I know you're going to still throw it to Mayer a lot, but it's like, couldn't he have been, or shouldn't he have been open more often? So. Um, maybe Drew Pine couldn't see him. <laughs> maybe. Uh, I, I don't know. So, but, and he, he doesn't it's have to worry.
2: make the bowl game interesting to see who, who a new quarterback is going <laughs> to throw with no Michael Mayer there. I mean, all that's, right. Super interesting to me, whoever it is, whether it's Buckner and Jelly or both.
0: (laughs) Whenever Notre Dame decides to stop running the ball, because South Carolina has a bad run defense. So (laughs) I think in a perfect world, Notre Dame doesn't even have to throw it that much against against this South Carolina defense and maybe keep South Carolina's explosive offense off the field. All right. Next question is from at Charles W. Wolf. Why didn't Drew Pine use this bull game as an audition for the transfer portal? Seems like a weird move to bolt early.
2: Well, I think he certainly has enough body of work to get people interested in our rivals transfer portal. He's ranked fairly high among the quarterback options. Um, The other thing is that he doesn't want to get left out of the, the options. If you jumped into the portal on December 5th, you had the best chance of the full spectrum of teams that needed a quarterback. There are already... You know, Phil Jokovic's found a home. Uh, the McNamara kid from Michigan's already landed at Iowa. Um, but there's going to be fewer options if you wait until after the bowl game uh, of which to land. And I think I think there was probably an emotional aspect to it, too, that you know, Drew was very disappointed that Notre Dame was bringing in a or wanted to bring in a transfer portal quarterback to compete probably felt like he had done enough and just said, okay, I'm done with this. So I'm, I'm looking forward to chatting with him. I'm going to reach out to him after he picks his school, but I would bet that those, those things factored in.
0: Yeah. I I think, I mean, we're sort of speculating. I mean,
2: I'm definitely speculating, but right. Yeah. No, I'm
0: I'm not saying like, there's not much else to to go off of uh, until he can sort of speak to, his, his mindset and, and why he decided to make that decision. But, yeah, I, I'm in agreement that the bowl game wasn't necessarily going to – he didn't need the bowl game to sort of prove what he can do. I mean, he had the majority of a season to do that, so I, I think whatever teams think of him would have been judged off of that whole body of work that, rather than what he does
2: against South Carolina in the Gator Bowl. There will be conceivably quarterbacks that do wait. I think Michael Pratt at Tulane might jump in the portal after his – after Tulane plays USC, I think uh, Hartman at Wake Forest might jump in after his his team's done. But they wanted to be with their team. They wanted to play in their bowl game. And there's probably players on the Notre Dame roster that want to play in the bowl game at other positions that are willing to wait until January to um, jump in the portal just to make sure that Tyler and I stay busy on New Year's Eve.
0: Yeah. I think the Pratt speculation was also assuming that Willie Fritz wouldn't stay at, at Tulane. So I'm not sure how that that changes with him deciding to stay and getting a contract extension there. So, um, there, it's hard to say how any of this is going to play out for Drew Pine or any number of the quarterbacks. And I think there's, there's a lot of sort of juggling going on and figuring out when's the right time to, to go for a guy. Does Notre Dame in its own search, like decide to go now or wait to see who else is coming? Uh, and if you do that, do you miss out on some of these guys now? Because they
2: want to They want to be um, locked they wanna in. They want to be in school. Right. And, and on January 18th in class, you know, at Notre Dame, if they're coming to Notre Dame. Right. I mean, last year it was uh, – Brandon Joseph was close to just getting in right like groupie actually was a few days late to start classes yeah it, I,
0: I i wonder if it's a little bit more lax when it's a grad transfer rather than a uh an undergrad i think it would be difficult to get away right. with if you're an undergrad student maybe not as not as and a uh, lot of the guys
2: that they're looking at are in that category that have multiple years left all right. Uh, Next question is from at Murray O'Connell. If Buckner plays well
0: in the bowl game, does that scare away some transfer portal quarterbacks? Because maybe them starting at Notre
2: Dame isn't such a sure thing after all. Well, I think the guys in the portal have big egos. (laughs) (laughs) One thing they think they're better than whoever's on their current roster and whoever's on their future roster, or they wouldn't be there. Notre Dame may have their quarterback before the bowl game even happens, but I I, again I'm speculating but you know even if Buckner plays really well in the bowl game it's against a South Carolina defense that overall isn't good their pass defense is decent their best um, defensive back isn't going to play so um, and the other thing is Buckner has an injury history and I think that will play into their thoughts about the viability of being the number one quarterback. There are some guys in the portal that will want a guarantee to be number one and Notre Dame will not give them that. So I I don't think it's going to dissuade them at all. Or if Steve Angeli plays well. Yeah, I think – I mean I can see it playing a role if I if you're a graduate
0: transfer with just 1 year left it's like do I really want to take this the outside chance that Tyler Buckner ends up beating me out if this is my last year of college football like that that could be a risk but like you said I think a lot of these guys have pretty big egos so they're they're not as concerned about that um so I think it, I think it would probably be easier to convince someone that that doesn't matter as much with someone that has multiple seasons left because it's not sort of like a do or die season for that player even though if like it ended up being that Tyler Bunkner beats that quarterback out, then I think that another quarterback that maybe has multiple years left um, would just
2: then transfer back out of Notre Dame
0: and go somewhere else after that. But uh, that's sort of the,
2: I mean, they theoretically a grad transfer could come in, come here in the spring semester and then leave and go somewhere after spring. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Maybe some serious, we're in a, we're in the
0: world of serious musical chairs when it comes to quarterbacks, especially. I mean, it's, uh, it's that way at a lot of positions because JT Daniels role. will be on school number four. Yep. Yeah. Maybe the four school will be the right one for JT Daniels. All right. Next question is from Winstonian who uh, on the insider lounge, who's a better quarterback, Tyler Buckner or DJ Uyungalale?
2: Well, I would say on potential and traits and all that DJ mops the floor with Tyler Buckner. I think at this very moment, I would take Tyler Buckner on my team because I think DJ's damaged from a standpoint of where he is mentally. And if I, so I think what this question comes around to is if DJ were were available in the portal, would you take him over the other options and then have him compete with Buckner? That's how I'm framing the question. I wouldn't. I would let him go somewhere else And compete somewhere else i'd be looking for somebody different but uh, there's so much that's unknown about tyler buckner in terms of his health and his potential but i have been on the tyler buckner bandwagon and i'm not ready to jump off yet but but again in in terms of potential and traits i mean dj has the size he has the better arm he's more durable uh he's got the pedigree i mean he was you know, a top five overall prospect in his class, but, um, and they were in the same class, I believe, weren't they? No, he, DJ's a year ahead. He was in Drew Pine's class, but, um, I'll let Tyler talk. I'm prattling on.
0: Yeah. I, I just haven't, there's not enough of a track record for Tyler Buckner to feel confident that you could pick him and be like, yeah, for sure. The rest of Tyler Buckner's career is going to be better than the rest of DJ younger Galilees. I, I, I'm just not at that point yet. Um, given all those things that I know DJ Uyunglele has struggled at times and not played to his potential at Clemson. Um, but I – it would be hard for me to pass up that that talent. Now, I don't know that I would do that if I'm Notre Dame. Um, but I don't know. There's It's just – and I, I think there's, there's, it comes with, okay, does that mean his brother's coming to school? I think his dad is a pretty big personality. Is that something that you want to bring into your program as a guy that's competing for a job? And now it, from the outside, it seems like he's handled DJ. We has handled everything really well in terms of the Cade Klubnik situation and not, he's been a good teammate and understands when he gets benched and has been supportive of Cade, but obviously he didn't wait to, to get in the transfer portal after the end of the, after the end of the season either. So um I would still take DJ at this moment, um, but I mean, it wouldn't be surprising if, if Tyler Buckner ended up being the better quarterback over the next two years or whatever. Next question is from Drew Brennan, 77 on the Insider Lounge. Who do you think has the final say on who Notre Dame is focusing on in the portal at quarterback at the quarterback position? Do you think it is more Freeman or more Reese? Second question for both of you, list your top three transfer quarterbacks you want the Irish to go after.
2: Okay. Um, I, I think certainly it's a collaboration. If if I were in Marcus's position, I'd want the whole staff to kind of weigh in and look at the quarterbacks. I definitely would want Jared Parker, because he's been an offensive coordinator before, in on that decision as well. But ultimately, this is Marcus's team, and it's Marcus's decision. And I think Marcus is um, comfortable making that decision. I think last year, during the offseason, Marcus had to lean on Tommy Reese because of everything that was coming at him. And, and he did ask Tommy, you know, do we need a Porter quarterback? And Tommy didn't think that they did. And he lived with that decision. He can do a little bit of more of his own research now and get to know those quarterbacks. So ultimately, yeah, it's his decision, but it's a collaboration. It's not a dictatorship. Yeah. Um, I, go I, ahead.
0: I, I agree with that. Freeman has the final say he, he's going to want Tommy Reese's input, but and is likely to listen to him, but um it's going to fall on on Marcus Freeman
2: at the end of the day to to make to make that decision. As far as the portal quarterbacks that I like, I'm uh, probably in the minority here, but I love Brennan Armstrong. I like that he only has one year left. I like his track record until this year when he had a when they had the coaching change, um, and he plummeted in statistically. Um, and, and Virginia wasn't very good around him either, but he has that dual threat ability uh, that I like in a quarterback, and he was prolific last year. I think teams would have, he would have been at the top of the portal uh, if he had come out last cycle. Number two, I like Spencer Sanders of Oklahoma State. Again, a guy that didn't have as good a year statistically. They didn't have uh, the, the players around him. And uh, But I like his dual threat ability. I like that he only has one year left uh, because I think there's consequences to bringing in somebody with, let's say, like Hudson Card that has three years. Uh, I think there could be ripples in terms of what Buckner and Angeli do. And then my number three guy is Devin Leary from NC State. He does not have the dual threat ability. I think he does a good job of extending plays has an injury history so that's a little bit scary but in terms of a guy that looked like an NFL prospect in 2021 he sure had that look and uh I would I would roll the dice with his injury history um because now you have more you have Kenny Minchie, you have Steve Angeli you have all these quarterbacks coming in
0: yeah I I have, I've yet to to like find someone that I'm like, this is who I think Notre Dame needs to go after. I, I, I do not have strong opinions on the quarterback preference at this point. Now, maybe I just haven't – I probably haven't spent enough time trying to figure that out just because of everything else going on. Like, I'm not sitting here crunching Devin Leary and DJ Uy- Uncle well,
2: you're not conducting a live chat where people are throwing that question at you and They're <laughs> expecting an answer. Let me um, say one thing before you get rolling. Is, sure. If Pratt becomes available, he goes to the number one spot. For me, he's a dual threat guy. He's been consistent all three years. He's been a starter. I really like his game, so he would be my number one guy if he became available.
0: Yeah, I mean, he would be. He he's the kind of like he's not he's not leaving because something went poorly. Like he's just like trying to take. He wants to like elevate his his profile to a better school if if that's the situation for him. Um, So I I, just like on that basis alone, I, I think I might end up agreeing with you if that ends up being the case. Um, because everyone else are like they have reasons they're leaving the school they're at, like they're not they haven't been the greatest quarterbacks of all time uh, and wouldn't necessarily be the starter at their schools next year um, so so I don't know I mean this 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 order that I'm giving here could change tomorrow um i i, I like I also agree with you that I like the like one year coming in and not not being a problem in or like a, something that you have to worry about for the future. Um so Devin Leary's the one that's at the top of my list right now. Um I, the Brandon Armstrong thing I I don't know like was was the 2021 season a fluke and a product of just being in a bad conference um and having some really talented players around him and a really good offensive coordinator. Um I don't know. Uh like Syracuse's offense looked pretty good as soon as that offensive coordinator went to Syracuse. Uh so so, so second, I put DJ Uyunglele. I mean, that's the like. I don't know. I have no idea what to expect from him, but the 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 potential of him is just so tantalizing that it's. I, I would be curious to see what that looks like. Whether regardless of where he ends up, um, I don't know that that's very realistic or likely. Um, and then so then third on my list, I put Hudson Card. Um, I, I think, think I
2: called him Houston Card. Maybe did I call um, him Hudson?
0: You've called him Houston at some point. I don't know if it was today or a different time, but.
2: uh, I want to call him Houston so bad. So (laughs) I hope he doesn't end up here because it's going to take retraining (laughs) to call him Hudson. (laughs) All right. Well, that's, that's, maybe that's a. Creating some
0: bias in your opinion of him that, that you're like, I don't want to worry about having to figure out how to say his name. So, and maybe, maybe you're holding that against DJ Young a little late, too. <laughs> uh, all right. Our next question is from ND Football Discord at NDF underscore Discord Who will finish with more career starts at Notre Dame, Kenny Minchie or Tyler Buckner?
2: Well, Tyler has two, so he's got those in the bank. Uh, the thing that's really intriguing about Minchie is He's a guy that could surprise everybody, and he's a guy that could never play. He's, he's, um, and the story well, of
0: Notre Dame quarterbacks, <laughs> right?
2: The, the, his, his biggest problem is okay, if we look at 2023, he's not in the picture realistically, right? We look at 2024, let's say Notre Dame had picked a portal quarterback that had one year left, then Buckner probably is going to be the guy in 2024 if he's still around and all of a sudden now C.J. Carr is on campus as an early enrollee so really Minchie's window is 2024 to to make starts if he doesn't that year I think it's going to be difficult for him to beat out C.J. Carr as C.J. gains experience but he's so interesting to me that if somebody could pull it off it's him like I don't have the same feeling about Angeli, that Angeli could pull that off, but I do think Kenny Minchie could. I'm still going to go with Buckner since he's got the two starts in the bank, probably number three in the bowl game.
0: Uh, I'm going to go with Minchie. I, I, I like it's. I mean, it's a fascinating question. I, I really like this question. I, yeah, I mean, it's it,
2: really. Um, if we had prizes. This question would win a prize. It's.
0: Uh, um. It's. I mean, it's hard to know. I mean, I the, the because. I don't know that I agree that if, if someone comes in next year and is the starter, like say Devin Leary comes in and starts one year and then he's gone. I don't know that uh, that's Tyler Buckner's job to lose at that point. Like if he's been relegated to being a backup once again, like what, how much of an advantage does he have over Kenny Minchie? The fact that he played in more games early in his career. Like I, I I'm not sure that that would be like insurmountable for Kenny Minchie to end up beating out Tyler Buckner in that scenario. Um I, I just, I, and I like the, like, I know that CJ Carr is talented, but like if Kenny Minchie's enrolled before him, like CJ Carr is going to have to do something to beat him out. I think, cause I think Minchie is talented. Um, and I'm not saying that CJ Carr won't, but I think that's something that would sort of still have to happen. And he Minchie would have a little bit of a leg up there and, and could be in position to like, like Minchie, Minchie could realistically become the starter in 2024. I don't think it would be realistic for CJ Carr to be the starter in 2024. Yeah. Um, so so I guess that's why I'm going with Minchie uh but uh I could go back and forth on this one all day
2: yeah Minchie is just I can't remember a quarterback I've been this excited and confused about uh, (laughs) in terms of his future
0: and and that's and that's highly related to like the the complete uncertainty of the position right now right I mean no one knows what's going on uh and obviously the CJ Carr uh breathing down his neck uh makes that even more uh i mean and some of it
2: goes back to tommy Reese's evaluations i mean he offered tyler buckner before he was a starter in high school right which is amazing so that he saw enough of him in a camp to offer him a scholarship before he had started his first high school game
0: All right. Uh, Next question is from SJB 75 on the Insider Lounge. Do you believe both Tommy Reese and Al Golden will return to Notre Dame as coordinators for the 2023 season? This feels like a question that we keep getting asked as of late.
2: Right. So, well, I think some people are asking it because Jim Leonard suddenly became available from Wisconsin. And I think he may be, If he's not the best defensive coordinator in college right now, he's in the top three. Mm -hmm. Um, And then uh, Tommy Reese, I mean, I think people ask that question for different reasons. One, they think he underachieved this year, and some people want him fired. And two, some people think he's going to get picked off by an NFL team. So it kind of goes both ways with him. I know when Al Golden signed on with Notre Dame, Marcus kind of wanted a two-year commitment from him you know in in handshake kind of terms I think if something came up um, he certainly would say you know Al yeah you ought to take that if he but I think Al either wants to be an NFL defensive coordinator or a head coach in college and I don't think this year's performance gets him to either of those right so I think he's back Reese's a wild card um but i think his performance this year even though there were some bright moments and you could say that he developed drew pine pretty well um notre Dame is still 74th in the country in total offense and i don't think that gets people excited about him being a college head coach it's more if an nfl team he's got a connection with somebody that really likes him says we'd like you to be an NFL quarterbacks coach I don't think he would be able to use this season to get an offensive coordinator's job in the NFL but you know stranger things I guess have happened so that's a long way of me saying (laughs) I think both will be back uh for 2023
0: I'm I'm glad you brought it back there because I was going to restate it (laughs) to make sure that you answered yes or no uh I, currently, I would say yes that they're both back as well. I don't think the markets for either of them will be particularly hot this year, and and I would think that they would have the potential to have better opportunities in the future with better seasons. Um, the Reese thing with the NFL like is interesting because like I, I I don't think those are going to go away. Like like I think he has connections and relationships with guys in the NFL, and those aren't going to just dissipate if he decides to stay in college football for a handful of years. Um, it's a, I think it has more to do with like if he's like, okay, i I would enjoy being in the NFL more than being a college football coach um, or if like if he was offered a head coaching job in in college football, maybe that would be something he would he would do. but i I just see I don't see that those those decisions are things that have to be made this off season, um, and he's he's so invested in what Notre Dame's doing now in terms of uh i mean, he he. I mean, he went through quite the year in terms of his starting quarterback gets hurt. He loses out on Dante Moore, thinking that's a sure thing. <laughs> he doesn't get a, a quarterback commitment in the twenty twenty three class till November, um, and now he's out on the recruiting trail looking for <laughs> transfer portal quarterbacks. Like that would be a lot to sort of be like, okay, I I, I put all this time and effort into all these things, and I'm not going to see any of that through now when there's an opportunity that you think is better for you, you have to take it when that's the right time. Like you can't necessarily like say, well, I'm too invested in what I've already done. Uh, If there's a too good of an opportunity, you got to take it. But um, I'm being long-winded as well. But um, at least at the beginning, I said, yes. So people knew where, where my head was at. And I gave some, at least some context for what, why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. All right. uh, Next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. reflecting on the past season what do you think was the most successful and least successful thing that both Al Golden and Tommy Reese did during the season what do you think each of them needs to work on
2: the most in the offseason um as far as Al Golden I would say they got better over over the year I mean the USC game you can't throw that out because they played against Caleb Williams and they didn't have their full complement of defensive backs in that game but they ended up being 22nd in the country in total defense which which is an accomplishment and they improved in a lot of areas um so you know I I would give him credit for that uh there were certain individual players that that came along and and improved under Al Golden um And and I think he was in a difficult spot with a third um, defensive scheme in three years. What they need to work on, I would put at the top of the list, is becoming a dominant run defensive team. They were 43rd this year, but they're pretty up and down with that. Um, And I think if they're a dominant run defensive team, it helps a couple of their other weak areas. You get teams into more third and longs, and you turn the tend to get more turnovers in those situations they weren't very good in and in, in turning people over they weren't good on red zone defense either they're one of the worst teams in red zone defense i think if you're a dominant run team you put people in third and goal from the eight rather than third and goal from the two um so so that would be my my suggestions there why don't you go first with golden then we'll both do reese
0: okay uh the thing that I thought he was the most successful at this season was getting the most out of Notre Dame's secondary. Now I think for probably for both these guys, when I'm talking about my opinions of what they did well or didn't do well, I think some of that blame or credit is shared with the position coaches. Like I think right. Mike Mickens gets a lot of credit and Chris O'Leary deserves a lot of credit for what they, for Notre Dame, what Notre Dame secondary did. But I think Al Golden's defense really maximized and, and, the passing defense was really good, even in when they played against the best quarterbacks that they played against. For the most part, they kept those guys in check when it mattered, at least in terms of passers. Now, Caleb Williams ran all over the place, but um, they kept they kept things in check against C.J. Stroud and and Drake May. At least when when it mattered against Drake May, Drake May did get a lot of yards when the game was pretty much decided at that point. But um, I thought I thought that was the most impressive thing that Al Golden's defense did um most unsuccessful thing was uh the red zone defense like that that didn't really get that much better throughout the year um that's something that Notre Dame needs to improve on and so that would be on the off-season to-do list um and so that would probably be the number one thing I would put on his off-season to-do list and I think sort of beyond that would be sort of just what's the ideal personnel for Notre Dame what is what is what does Al Golden's defense look like? Like How much of what was happening this year was sort of like a coagulation of the two defenses and trying to meld the personnel and the defense that Marcus Freeman ran with what Al Golden's comfortable with. Like, are there, are are there different things that he wants to do the defense that he didn't get a chance to do because it would be sort of too much. Like there were, I think there was already enough changes that happened that maybe there were some more things that they would like to do that they weren't able to enact. So sort of figuring out like, what, what does that look like? Is, Is Notre Dame, doing what it wants to do most a, as a defense and, and from a scheme standpoint from a, using the personnel standpoint
2: well I, I think just adding to that the development of jalen Snead is huge in that because he's in their mind the ideal rover he's a guy that can be on the field so that they don't have to be a nickel so much mm-hmm. um when, when they were nickel it compromised their run defense um so as good as Tariq Brazi was in so many facets, it's not ideally the defense you want to be sitting in 80% of the time. Um, I'm not sure that they were in it that much, but it felt like that. And, and then it really minimized what what Jack Kaiser could do too, because he's not an ideal rover. He's really a will linebacker playing rover. All right. What, what are your thoughts on the Reese aspects of this? Number one would be um, number one, in terms of what he did well, would be he, he got the offense to a point where it had an identity, where they were this bruising running team uh, that was successful doing that against most teams, and they were able to win a lot of games. They could play at different speeds. They got better at third down as the year went on. Uh, Drew Pine got better as the year went on, uh, had some of his best performance. They didn't weren't sloppy with turnovers. As far as what they need to do better, number one with a bullet is better in-game adjustments. Notre Dame only scored 52 points all season in the third quarter, and that hurt them in a lot of games. In in their losses, that third quarter was like a lost quarter, and it seemed like there needed to be quicker adjustments in the third quarter. And I would say um, my other criticism is just, maybe not having an answer for teams that uh, showed the offensive line, different fronts, different looks um, that had a lot of movement, you know, and and it's not fair to compare the second Utah game with um, Notre Dame's game against USC because Caleb Williams on offense kind of drives both sides of the ball with what he can do. And he wasn't at hundred percent. But Utah had answers for USC's movement. They were able to run the ball against. Right. Uh, and, and and I think Tommy Reese needed to make those kind of adjustments that Utah did because I think Notre Dame's offensive line and running backs are every bit as good as Utah's.
0: Yeah, I, I do that was something that Notre Dame's offensive line did struggle with. Um was, was some of that movement and stuff. And it what like Navy game too. Uh yeah, the Navy game. Well, when I was reviewing the USC game, it was like I didn't track in my head. And maybe it's partially because like USC's defensive tackles aren't huge, but like they had defensive tackles making plays on the edge. It's like, what are those guys doing there? And that was just how much they were twisting and stunting up front on on the defense that um, I think it was really causing Notre Dame's offensive line problems with that. Um, In terms of what Reese did most successfully on the offense, I would just say maximizing Michael Mayer's impact. Now I know. It's not. It doesn't take rocket science to say, hey, let's get the ball to Michael Mayer. But they were able to do that in so many different ways and still overcome what, for the most part, whenever defenses were doing. (laughs) Because defenses knew it was going to him, and it didn't matter. Notre Dame was able to come up with ways to get him open. Um, And then, obviously, even when he was covered, he would still make plays too. So I thought that was impressive. Um, What I thought the offense was the most or the least successful with um, was developing re- reliability at wide receiver, um, and I think um, that's personnel related. I think that is play calling related. I think it's quarterback decision making related. Um, all those things sort of went into like Notre Dame just not being able to rely on its receivers to make plays on a consistent basis, and that that <laughs> makes it really hard to be be a successful offensive coordinator. Um, so I think he has to find. Ways to do that, whether it's getting the balls to receivers in better situations, um, having a better understanding of what those receivers can do, having a better understanding of what the quarterbacks can do. um, And not just like are capable of doing but are willing to actually do when it comes to game time, like make this decision. This is where the ball needs to go. Don't take the easy way out and throw it to Michael Mayer. Um, So I think that was something that. um, Tommy Reese didn't necessarily get the highest grades for. This season, And so I think figuring out how to do that this offseason is sort of at the top of the checklist for him and um, what Notre Dame's offense can be moving forward with. And then like, what else does he need to do the offseason? What he's already doing, like try to figure out who the quarterback is, like making that decision, figuring out what transfer they can get in here, making the right decision in terms of who should start and developing that quarterback to be able to win games for the Notre Dame next season. All right. Next question is from LDL go Irish on the insider lounge. I was once told by a renowned high school coach that people do not realize that coaches are not as smart as they might think. He said coaches often make player position choices and depth chart choices that ultimately are not best for the team. Given that there are so many reps in practice to go around and in the games and reps are needed to improve, which two non-freshmen on offense and defense in your opinion should be getting more reps? So I read this
2: as two players on each side of the ball. I read it that way too. And it was impossible for me to come up with two on either side of the ball. (laughs) Well, I can do it on defense. It's hard on offense because a lot of times the player that needs more reps is a freshman. I mean, Steve Angeli is the number two quarterback. He's a freshman. Tobias Merriweather is a freshman. Um, and, And you really don't like to use offensive linemen and then, tight end Holden stays needs more reps and he's a freshman so right. I came up with um on offense I came up with Dion Colsey um and then if I just threw Rocco Spindler out there because everybody loves Rocco but I don't think he deserves to start in front of somebody else maybe then twos deserve to get more playing time in some of these blowouts on defense I came up with three I came up with um Jordan Botello, and he did get reps towards the end of the year and was productive with them. I thought um, Prince Colley and Jack Kaiser were kind of the odd men out at times. I, Jack Kaiser really played very well and played consistently, but when Notre Dame played so much nickel, he was really in competition with Marist Leafau for reps, and Marist was a little bit up and down, and Colley was in the same position, uh, really athletic linebacker that plays the will, and was kind of at the mercy of that um, competition there of, of Notre Dame only playing two, two linebackers on the field. So those would have been my choices.
0: Okay. Yeah. I think those are good choices. Kali was the person that I had had earmarked as the defensive choice. Um, And like you said, like Patello, I I felt like he was getting those opportunities at the end of the year. So I don't, that's why I didn't necessarily pick that one, but I, I can certainly understand that viewpoint um, and well, I, I, him
2: now with Foskey, right? Yeah. Man. He's
0: He's going to now. Like that's not, that's not a question or an option, uh, necessarily. So, uh, we'll see that. And then I I like the Kaiser idea too. Like I, like, I feel like there should have been a bigger role for him in this defense somehow. Um, and I, right, understand. And when
2: I asked Al golden that he thought so too, he goes, you know, I need to get Jack out there more. Right. And it's like, but okay,
0: it, well, it's, well, <laughs> you're, well, you're I, the one in charge. Do you want but, me to call you at halftime and remind you or what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next question uh, is another one from LDL go Irish on the inside lounge. Did Jaden Belli- Bellamy get a good enough look from the coaching staff? Why is Jaden Mickey ahead of him on the depth chart? And it's not because he doesn't have a Y in his name.
2: <laughs> so Bellamy came in early like Mickey did. And, and Ben Morrison was a late later enrollee. I, I think their initial thoughts and in winter workouts, especially was Bellamy. Bell and me might have been able to help them at uh, nickel a little bit. They liked his skill set and so forth. It seemed like he had a lot of injuries, hamstring injury late in the year. He had concussions. Uh, I think that kind of slowed him down. And once the other two freshmen kind of took hold, it was difficult for him to leave, leapfrog anybody on the depth chart. You know, Mickey um, was super impressive in the spring and, and, and into August then maybe hit a wall a little bit. Uh, I think some of that was he was trying to learn all three positions, especially the nickel and the field corner. Once he kind of honed in on the field corner, he got better. The problem was he had some uh, concussion issues that kept him off the field in some games where he could have gotten some valuable reps. But I think you'll see Jaden Mickey take a big step next year, and it's unfortunate that, And Bellamy Bellamy decided to jump in the transfer portal. But I don't know that that's completely related to playing time.
0: Yeah, I mean, Notre Dame liked Jaden Bellamy. I think going back to, it might have been like the early signing period, when we had a pre- when we got to talk to the coaches, I think that was when Marcus Freeman spoke really highly of him. He's like, "Hey, this Jaden Bellamy might end up being the best of this group," which was certainly high praise considering that uh, what we've seen for Benjamin Morrison uh, as a freshman. Um, but yeah, I just think that Notre Dame liked Jaden Mickey more. He showed more on the practice field, had a better, seemed to show a better base of base knowledge of the defense. Um, Jaden Mickey really stood out in spring practice, whereas I I don't know that. I saw much from Jaden Bellamy. I think he was dealing with some injury issues at times too. Right. Um, so I know like the success for Jaden Mickey didn't really translate to the field. Um, like he, some of uh, like he, he seemed to always be stuck in a bad position and in, in the, in the limited opportunities that he got. Um, and uh, but I, I, Notre Dame's coaching staff clearly trusted him. Like he was earning that opportunity. It wasn't like he was putting, getting put out there by default. So, um, I think he was like, just uh, he he didn't execute when it came to game days always, but he was the one that sort of showed the best command of that position, um, going into it, going into Saturdays. Um, and so that's why he was given, given those opportunities.
2: And and I, I, Marcus shared a story of the two of them, Morrison and, and Mickey, you know, kind of hanging out and doing film work together, staying after practice together there's a lot to like i mean he we're going to look back i think with mickey and say boy remember those growing pains they don't they're not around anymore i i think he's got a real bright future right i i would agree next
0: question is from at mr joe seiler what happens when a player enters the transfer portal i know they can come back to their original school or transfer to another but what happens if no one
2: else takes takes them <laughs> that's what happens there's they're they don't have anywhere to go. Um, you know, they can go walk on somewhere or they can go be a college student and not play football. But there are quite a few players that get stuck in the transfer portal with nowhere to go. Um, we don't hear about them because there's so many high profile players that move around and do well, but yeah, there are players that end up uh, with no options and, and get stuck. And there's, They can't go back to their school unless their school says, yeah, come on back, we'll have you. They could go back. They could like say this happened to a Notre Dame player.
0: I won't put a name on it, but if they go to the portal, then Notre Dame doesn't have to honor their scholarship, but they would still be an enrolled student at Notre Dame, right? Right. Like if they wanted to pay the tuition – Right. Like they're not booted out of school, their scholarship right. is taken away. Now maybe if they had bad grades then the then the admissions or whatever the right. one of the deans of the college would be like, all right, you're you're yeah, you're I done said they could go back too. and
2: be a regular student. They they just wouldn't be able to play football or they'd have to walk on um to, to maintain that. No, they're not kicked out of school, but they don't have that football scholarship to you know, and hopefully then they have a big checkbook if they uh you know have given up on that scholarship right
0: and they're they're chasing a football dream when they're going into the transfer portal so they're not likely to just stay somewhere as a student um so yeah i mean there's there are consequences to entering the transfer portal um that you have to be aware of before you do that because you could be end up in a situation where you're not in a good spot i mean there's so many places where you can play college football so I, i would think you'd be able to end up somewhere um but um it's probably like if if no one you're probably gonna have to take a step down in competition to do that and then you're certainly your desire to play college football would be tested at that point all right last question we have is from at golden domer 281 where has tommy reese been hiding and i'm going to assume that golden domer isn't an inside indie sports subscriber
2: because this has been discussed
0: on the inside loudest message board (laughs) at times this week
2: okay i'll let you answer that because i don't I don't understand the question. Where's he been hiding? You mean as far as our trail tracks? Yes. Um, yeah, the, yeah. He, okay. he means, yeah, so yeah. I do understand that a little bit. So, why hasn't he shown up in those all the time? Yeah. I think that's what the, the, What? Golden okay, is saying. My understanding asking. is because he's been visiting with um, portal guys, portal quarterbacks, and Notre Dame wants to kind of keep that uh, on the down low for now and, and not have their plans kind of splashed out there to other teams. That's my interpretation.
0: Correct. That is, that is what I've reported. <laughs> so I would, okay. uh, for uh, me reading Tyler's <laughs> posts, uh, that's how I
2: would interpret that.
0: So, uh, yeah, he's recruiting in a covert way. I mean, Notre Dame has been protective of that information. Um, and unless we can get portal quarterbacks or the recruits that they're seeing, like, someone else to to go on the record and say that, yeah, I got a visit from Tommy Reese. Like then we're stuck not being able to report that information. Um, we believe he's been working on quarterbacks in the transfer portal market and is active there. Um, and so that's why you don't see him in pictures with a like when Notre, the rest of Notre Dame's offensive staff is visiting a running back. Uh, Tommy Reese isn't necessarily, hasn't been there this week. Um, he, he it's
2: not that he has a bad haircut and
0: <laughs> well sure. i think i think some people were like well maybe he's like interviewing for jobs elsewhere i think that was the other thing that people were wondering um i mean those are the only two like obvious answers and i don't know that people are sort of broadcasting like um what what has been going on because there, that information isn't uh public right now uh well, wasn't so
2: out washington in that same deal maybe a day or two yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tommy Reese isn't the only person that Notre Dame has sort of been keeping under wraps their, their location on a daily basis. There have been other guys, but not as cons- like Tommy Reese has been, I don't know that we've reported where he's been all week. Um, whereas, whereas last Friday he was visiting with Kenny Minchie and CJ Carr um, on the first day of the contact period. But um, his location has been a closely guarded secret at this point. Yeah. Um, and that's that's all we can say. Like, obviously, if we have more information to share, the first place we will share that is with our subscribers on the Insider Allowance message board. So I would encourage people who listen to this podcast and aren't subscribed to go ahead and do that, because we're not going to br- if we, if we have that information, we're not going to bring it to the podcast before we bring it to the, the people who pay us to, uh, and uh, spend the most time with us on our message board. All right, that's it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with your next Uber driver. Check us out on YouTube if you're not already subscribed to us there. Our audience for our Monday Night Live shows keeps increasing, so that is encouraging us to continue doing live shows. So um, keep track of what we're doing over there. Um, And there's really been too much news going on to skip a week on the podcast. So we'll be back next week. Um, We don't have a date necessarily lined up sort of, we try to schedule that around breaking news. Although today uh, we are recording this hours after both D- Dylan Edwards decommitted from Notre Dame and, and Isaiah Fosky announced that he was leaving for the NFL draft. So today was a combination of things that, uh, broke before the podcast but we were dedicated and wanted to make sure we we got our interview in with drake bowen as well so thank you for listening and until we're back stick with insidendesports.com for all your notre dame football coverage needs